Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Well, if we haven't officially met yet, my name is Josh and I get to serve on the leadership team here in Grace Life. And as you would have heard, Next Sunday is a special Sunday for us. It's a vision Sunday. It's a Sunday where we set aside and we just talk a little bit about what we feel God's saying to us as a community. Also, it's an opportunity to, to see some of the things, some of the strategies we see unfolding. So we're going to see uh, Ellenbrook and Malaga come together here in our Malaga hub. We're going to hear a little bit from our Livingston hub over in Zambia. You're very welcome to come be part of the service. If you don't have a home church or perhaps you've been coming for a little while and you're not exactly sure what's going on around here, next Sunday's a great Sunday to be part of. You're welcome. But please, we do ask, as Pastor Karen's also said, if you are fit enough and you're able to, I would ask, we would ask if you could just park a little bit further and let's prioritize parents with small children, elderly people that can't walk as, as well, but also our Ellenbrook congregation, if they come down, would love to look after them particularly well next Sunday. On that note, how cute are those little ones? We, uh, it, it's, my children keep reminding me that I'm uh, 40. <laughs> the reason why I forgot is because they keep changing the number. <laughs> I'm 42, right? I was born in 81. and I'm, No, I'm turning 42. I'm turning 42. So I'm 41 turning 42. That's what our old age does to you, right? <laughs> and uh, as I see my little ones grow up, I pay attention to their mannerisms changing and develop. We're actually with Quentin uh, and Cole in the pool just having a swim earlier this week. And uh, I was talking to two of the girls who were having a go at each other in the pool. I've got three daughters. Two of them decided to uh, push the boundaries on playing in the pool with one another. And I said, hey, girls, just remember, two wrongs don't equal one right. <laughs> right? Right. How many parents have said that? Meanwhile, my nine-year-old goes, hang on a second, Dad. Don't two negatives equal one positive? I almost fell off my chair. Like, <laughs> I think, have I got through my life now, 41, 42 years old, and not realized that I could have used that one so many times over the years? And I've done, I've done engineering level physics, and I still haven't computed, connected those dots together. They come up with the most amazing things, and, and they're starting to talk about getting a job, getting a car. Go figure. I've got a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 11-year-old. They're talking about moving out. Independent, strong, independent, God-fearing young ladies. It's really interesting that, um, that for us as believers, when we first come into a relationship with Jesus, it's fresh and it's exciting. And we are so willing to throw ourselves and surrender to Him and believe Him for amazing things. We see and savor His goodness from a young age in the faith. But there's something intrinsically in us that, thinks that as we become 
older in the faith, I've been saved for a year or two years or five years or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, it almost seems as though we want to become a little bit more independent from God, that maybe we feel as though we don't need Him anymore. Amen or ouch? What is it about us that feels somehow that maturity is an understanding that we really don't need to rely on Him so much anymore because He's equipped us and empowered us already to do everything we need and we don't really need Him day to day. Grace is one of those things. We sung about it before. Grace is one of those things that we need every single day. In fact, the writer of that song, John Newton, who knows the story about John Newton, the one that wrote Amazing Grace. He actually was a slave trader. He traded slaves on ships. He was not saved at this point. He almost dies on the open seas, has an encounter with God, to cut a long story short, has a dramatic salvation story, quits the slave trade, works with a gentleman called William Wilberforce, who led to the abolishment of slaves. John Newton eventually became a clergyman like a church pastor. He had a revelation of the grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We then see later as part of that song, that rendition, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Perhaps a reference to the slaves. We all, because of sin, have been like that. It's, grace is not just a thing that sets us free once. It's something that transforms us every day. This morning, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, we need grace today. If you've got your Bibles, would you please open with me to 2 Corinthians. We're going to start off in verse 12. Second Corinthians, that is after the book of Genesis, I think, isn't it? Is it? I just, is, is before Revelations, is, okay, yeah, I, I, I think I've found it now. Thank you for that. So Paul writes a letter to a group of Christians, Corinthian Christians, and um, he's at the part of this letter where he's talking about boasting. In chapter 11, I'm just going to breeze through it, don't turn to it. Uh, some of the things he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, Paul says, so that I too may boast a little, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Verse 21, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Do you get, get a bit of a clue here that he's talking about boasting and bragging? He's comparing himself to other apostles, super apostles, that were often known by their names, their reputations, their accomplishments. Paul then starts to compare himself and defend his ministry. Let's go to the end of 
chapter 11, verse 30, it says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That's a bit of a... That's a bit different to what the world says. We, we live in a world, there is a kingdom on this earth, of this world, that says, hide your weakness, hide your vulnerability, hide your fragilities, hide it. Turn on social media. You project the best and you hide the rest. That's not what Paul's doing here. Verse 1, this is where I want to talk for about 10 verses. Chapter 12, in terms of this boasting, Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about himself. He's not mentioning himself. And the third person, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Let's pause for a second there. Consider what's happening here. Paul, the apostle, he is defending himself. In fact, prior to this, he's talking about how many times he was shipwrecked and beaten without clothes and he's hungry. And, and then he's defending himself and he says, hang on, guys, listen to me. 14 years ago, something happened. 14 years ago, right off the bat, I'm amazed that he kept this quiet for 14 years. He didn't talk to them about it. 14 years ago, he experienced something. It was not uncommon for apostles to talk about seeing Christ and having these revelations. Revelations happened. We see them all throughout Scripture. You see, the New Testament disciples would have them as well. Paul didn't. This wasn't the first vision that he saw. Remember, on the road to Damascus, he had a vision. Remember that? He had another one. And there's hope for you. If you've had a great vision that God's shown you, it doesn't have to be the last. But like Mary, perhaps, he had an experience, an encounter, and he hid it in his heart. He didn't use it to self-indulge, to self-proclaim, to self-promote. He kept it quiet for 14 years. And watch what it says. He had this vision, but he doesn't talk about what he saw. It says, verse 4, he heard things that cannot be told. So 14 years ago, he has this amazing experience in the third heaven. Now, back in the day, the, 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 the three realms were the atmosphere around about us. That was one heaven. Another heaven was the starry sky. That was a heaven. But the other heaven that Paul's referring to here is the divine realm. So what he's saying is, I was taken to a place and I don't know if I was physically taken there 
And I don't know if it was there just by vision. I, I, I really don't know how real it was. In fact, so much so that he says it twice. I don't know if I was there in body or not, but I know it happened. I know it happened. And you know what? He says, I, I heard some things, some amazing things. Have you ever heard God say something to you? It's just amazing. What do you do with it? Sometimes the Lord will speak something to you and it's for the now. Sometimes it's for the future. Sometimes it's to pray into. Sometimes it's to sit on. Sometimes it's to share. But can I submit to you just because God shows you something doesn't mean it's to go out and blab it. Sometimes it's to sit on and pray and let it percolate and chew on. That's where godly discernment and clarity comes in. So Paul sits on this for about 14 years. And he decides, in verse 5, on behalf of this man, I will boast on my own behalf. I won't boast except of my weaknesses. And then it says in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I felt the Holy Spirit put this on my heart to share today. This is such an amazing passage. I don't know if I can find a scripture that's hit me so much to, to, to show the vulnerability and the fragility of a man like Paul who was, who was taken to such an amazing place. And it was so amazing that God decided to give him something. A thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. That word in the Greek is the word scallops. It's uh, something that hinders or frustrates. It's something that can cause trouble. And it says in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. It was given him. It was given him. Who gave him the thorn in the flesh? Who gave it to him? It was the Lord. The Lord somehow gave a gift which also proved to be a messenger of Satan. Have you ever been given a gift that you did not think was a very good gift? I was younger, which was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, as my kids would probably attest to. My younger sister at Christmas time would wrap some beautifully wrapped presents for me, but what she would give me was my own toys. It's a true story. True story. True story. So I'd be all excited. Oh, great, look, lots of presents. Hey, that's my car. That's my cricket ball. She thought it was the best thing ever. She's been serious, not funny. <laughs> if you take notes, write this down. Not all gifts are beautifully wrapped. Not all gifts are beautifully wrapped. And right here we see an example of God giving a gift which didn't appear to be too well wrapped 
to the Apostle Paul. It was given him. It wasn't inflicted upon him. It was given him. The Lord sovereignly allowed a gift to be given to Paul. Which acted as a thorn in his flesh. Which your version might say buffeted him. A messenger of Satan that buffeted, that buffeted can be translated like it's like a punching. It's like a punching. Hang on, God allowed, God allowed this to happen. Why? God, why did you do this? This is crazy. Surely something like that you would not allow. Why would God do that? To stop him from becoming too conceited. Why? You know that God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. There's been so much conjecture around what that thorn actually was. Oh, I know what it was. It was the it was the eye ailment thing. It was it was it was a thing in his eye. Oh, it was it was headaches. It was it was sickness in his body. It was some disease, something like malaria, which was prominent in the region at the time. It, it was a spiritual or demonic affliction. It was it was reputational problems. It was that's what it was. We know what it was. That was the thorn in his side. It was the fact that he didn't have anything, that he was a tent maker that he was beaten, that he was abused. It was, the reality is, we just don't know. And the Lord sovereignly intended for us to not have certainty about it. Because I wonder if we actually knew we would try to turn that into a formula. The reality is God can provide a thorn for you as a gift. It might be financial. It might be emotional. It might be mental. It might be relational. It might be physical. It might be. And to you, it's like this is a messenger of Satan. And perhaps it is. But perhaps it's also a gift to stop us from becoming conceited. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The interesting thing we find about this is that grace is not just a thing. Though we know and we understand grace to be God's unmerited favor, God's goodness when it's undeserved, we can also describe it as God's endorsement and His empowerment. Ultimately, grace is a person. Which means when we have our weakness and we are being buffeted or we're being hindered or we're being pushed around, knocked around, in God's sovereignty, it is an opportunity, an invitation to have a revelation of Jesus himself. Jesus himself is grace because grace is a person. So what does Paul the Apostle get from all of this? He gets Jesus. Maybe you've come here this morning and you're feeling like you've been given a gift of a thorn. I, I, I don't know what it is. We're not just talking about stupid decisions that we make. I'm not just talking, well, the water corporation keeps harassing me. They're the thorn in my side because I haven't paid my bills for the last 9, 12 months. No, that's just you not paying your bills on time. I've got a thorn in my side because uh, my knuckles are sore because I hit the wall. No, that's you being stupid. Because the Sydney Sixers didn't win last night. The Perth Scorchers won. 
God sovereignly can allow something like a thorn to be given to stop us from becoming too conceited, inflated, arrogant. There is a fine line between arrogance and confidence. Arrogance is focused on me and what I can do, but confidence, true confidence in God is a dependence on Him. Perhaps this was a gift that Paul was being given. He, 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 he might have been. He might, and, he, and he reads all of his, um, all of his accomplishments. Perhaps because Paul was so accomplished that God allowed this to happen. Because he knew that Paul needed it. Do you have a thorn in the flesh this morning? What's God wanting to do with that? Let's read on. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's stop there. Let's, let, let's consider that for a second. Three times I pleaded. He pleaded three times. Whether it's literally three times or many times, he did it multiple times. And he pleaded. He did the asking, he did the seeking, he did the knocking, he did all of that. What was God's response to him? No. Sorry, son. He said, no. I pleaded with God. Please. Have you ever pleaded with God for pain to stop or trial to end or torture to just finish? And it just continues. Perhaps sometimes in God's sovereignty, His no to you is a yes to something else. And that's what we find here. God's no to one thing was a yes to something far greater. Well, what did He get? He got a revelation that His grace is enough. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's take a pause for a second there. Do you really believe that his grace is sufficient for you? I so challenged this last week as I'm sitting on that, just those few words there do i believe that that your grace is enough for me or am i just wanting more i just need change i just want transformation i just want this thing i just want that thing if god says no to paul this amazing super apostle could he not say no to us? Why would God do that? Because he loves us too much to give us whatever we want when we want it. And we can kick and we can scream and we can holler all we want, but God loves us too much for us to become brats. My girls 
try to woo me when they want things. Usually comes down to money or ice cream. Dad, can I please have another ice cream? You've had enough sweets for today, darling. It's literally what I heard a couple of days ago, two days ago. Dad, am I not your favorite daughter? And then <laughs> the next line was, are you trying to tell me you don't love me, Dad? And I just say, yeah, 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 say whatever you want to say. It's not happening. Why as a father do I not cave all of the time? I love him too much. And I don't want the dental bills at the end of the day with all the ice cream they're giving. Sometimes God is going to say no to you. God's no to one thing is a yes to something greater. He said no to Paul to remove this thorn at this time because there was something far greater. And what was that? Christ-likeness. That he would learn what it is to depend on the grace of Jesus and find contentment in him. And let's keep in mind that God's no is not necessarily a no forever. It could just be a no for now. So when God says no, how will I respond? How will you respond? How will we respond when we're asking for something? But God, I'm serving you. I'm doing, I'm doing all that you've called for me to do. I, I don't know what I've done wrong. Say thank you. When he says no, say, Lord, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, even, I, I don't even know if I agree with you, but okay, you know better than I. And as Romans 8 tells us, we know in verse 28, God, what does he do? Uses all things. To work, forget, work together for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So, when He also says, no, you've got to know He's protecting you from anything less than His best. He wants what's best for His children. And a yes may not be His best for His children. Just got to trust Him. Imagine Paul, this great apostle, uh, and he went and saw a counselor. They didn't know the Bible. You ever seen a counselor or a psych that has a worldly perspective and an ungodly perspective? They can be quite uh, unhelpful. Please, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to the stage the apostle Paul. Now, apostle Paul, I'm going to be your counselor, so lie down. You are my client. Oh, come on, mate. I don't know what client. <laughs> Where have we seen this pose before? <laughs> Calvin Klein? No. Um, I don't know. What, what counselor are you seeing where you're lying on the couch like that? <laughs> Just lie down. Yeah, suck it in. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being naughty. Okay, yes. Uh, so, yes. Uh, St. Paul, you've come into my office today, and, and what are you here for? What do you want to talk about? I have a thorn in the flesh. Indeed you do. Now, what if uh, this counselor, without an unbiblical perspective, would say, you know what, uh, what I think, 
Paul, I think you've got to put enough good habits in your life and tell yourself certain positive statements enough times every day and you're just going to get yourself out of this. Is that going to be helpful? Not in this moment. I've got another idea. You know what you need to do? You need to, this is your solution. The way to get rid of this thorn is you surround yourself with a wonderful support group. Is that going to help in this situation? No, it's not going to remove the thorn. How about this? I've got an idea. I know what. Here, let me organize with your GP to get you some medication. That's going to fix the problem. Is that going to fix the problem in this situation? I'm not opposed to those solutions at times. But I tell you what, can you just imagine if an initial response and conversation with God involved, Lord, what do I do here? What if, what if Paul missed out on that revelation, my grace is enough? He would have missed it. Let's put our hands together for this wonderful super apostle. See, we have an opportunity, friends, to very simply see our wonderful counselor first. Not when everything else doesn't work, but we go to him first. Before we check ourselves into our therapists or counselors or psychs, and they're good. But first, there is someone that knows us more than anyone else, and he provides the best ministry. And that's exactly what Paul the Apostle did. He said, oh, Lord, can you please help me here? Just get rid of this. Instead of removing the load or removing the thorn, he strengthened Paul with the thorn. God often does that. In the midst of pain or tribulation, he doesn't remove that pain or tribulation from us. He shows up in the middle of it. Do you have the presence of Jesus in your situation right now? Do you see that he's walking with you even right now? Final point before we close. I'm going to ask the musos to come to the stage. Final point is this. Let's read on first. It says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. <laughs> Another version says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. <laughs> I take pleasure in infirmities. Think about that. Paul's saying, I take pleasure in infirmities. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a man who about uh, a year before, in 1 Corinthians 15, calls himself least of the apostles. A few years later, in Ephesians 3, he calls himself the least of the saints. A few years after that, in 1 Timothy 1, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. Do you see that progression there? He says, oh, at first, I'm the least of the saints. Then I'm the least of the apostles, hang on, I'm a chief of all sinners. The more that he walked on in his life with Jesus, the, more of the, the, the deeper the revelation he had of the grace that he needed, the more he realized how inadequate he really was. 
You know, it's not a bad thing or a harmful thing to realize your inadequacy in the face of Jesus. It's because of our imperfections. It's because of our vulnerabilities. It's because of our weaknesses and our frailties that invites God to come and lift us up. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. He says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. For the life I now live, I live by faith, by trusting in the Son of God. I've been crucified with Christ. Paul realized as he progressed in his walk with Jesus, there was nothing in him outside of Jesus that was of value. Which means we can look around this room. There's no one better than anyone else. But those that are in Christ. Paul had a revelation. that There was nothing stronger than a dead man walking. Nothing stronger than a dead man walking. Nothing stronger than a dead man walking. See, we have been crucified with Christ. When we look at one another, may we just see less of us and more of Him. I just want more of Jesus. I need Him. And the parts of me that are weak and frail, that's the invitation for God to come and His strength to be complete or made perfect. As what Spurgeon says, From all this I gather that the worst trial a man may have may be the best possession he has in this world. That the messenger of Satan may be as good to him as his guardian angel. That it may be as well for him to be buffeted of Satan as ever it was to be caressed of the Lord himself. That it may be essential to our soul's salvation that we should do business not only on deep waters but on waters that cast up mire and dirt. The worst form of trial may nevertheless be our best present portion. If you come in this morning, perhaps walking with a limp, perhaps that's a sign of the grace of Jesus. When we look at one another, we see trophies of grace. Not because we've accomplished anything great, but what He has done in the midst of our adversities. See, God's glory is to be celebrated not just when we're on the mountaintops, but we're in the valleys. Lo, that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. But having a thorn in and of itself does nothing if we can't lean on Jesus in the process. Our liberty will always come about by the revelation of our fragility. So when we see this cross, we cling to it in our weakness. I need it. The cross, in fact, is the very sign of weakness. It's the very picture of vulnerability. 
It is the God who was and is and is to come, coming down and dying for you and I. It's, it's, it's at a certain point in human history, Jesus emptied himself to be like us, to die on a cross, a criminal's death, a humiliating death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, thank you. I'll finish with this. It says this. For the word of the cross or the message of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power. It's the power. Verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Again, talking about power and strength. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Who would have come up with a crackpot plan to save humanity by having a criminal's death on a cross? That's, that's stupid. God used that worldly foolishness to confound the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Verse 31, let's finish with this. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's stand together. We boast together in the Lord. We brag about Him and what He has done. Nothing in and of ourselves. It's all Jesus, baby. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. I've asked the team to lead us in that song, Amazing Grace. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. As we close the service, let's make this song a declaration. A declaration of our appreciation of the amazing grace we have in Him. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.